information and knowledge about the plan of God. So we want to look at them carefully. Verse 10, for it is fitting for him by whom all things and through whom all things are, having brought many sons to glory. He made, uh, or he, the author of our salvation, of their salvation, he made perfect through suffering. There is so much here. Now, first of all, it is fitting. It is appropriate. It is becoming. But that seems just the opposite to us of what it should be. How is it fitting that the Son is made perfect through suffering and dies? to, first of all, the nature of God, the nature of the Son, which is eternal. For him to die seems contrary to that. This, to have him made perfect through suffering seems just the opposite of what you would expect. And yet the author says it is fitting. And the point is being made that the fact that Jesus Christ was made man, ultimately suffered and died, may seem contrary to us. But our author is making it very clear that this was God's purpose for mankind. And he himself chose the death of his son to speak the gracious word of salvation to the world. Salvation will come to the world through Christ's suffering. We will be glorified through his humiliation. It's not uncommon for what we think to be exactly the opposite of what God thinks. This is the plan that God put into motion in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, he begins with the whole matter of that this one, his son, by whom all things and through whom all things are, we're going back now to the creation. We're going back where we're told that through Jesus Christ, all things were made. This goes farther and says, by Jesus Christ, all things were made. So he is the creator 
and yet he brings many sons to glory. Now, the important word there is bring, because the verb tense there means that he did it in the past, and it is continuing into the future. So it's not just he brought people to glory when he walked this earth. He is bringing people to glory from now until he comes again. He is changing the hearts of people. He is converting people. He is making them his children, his children, his sons and daughters, to give them glory. And this is ongoing. Ongoing. It's not a one-time affair. But notice the title that's given him. Some of your uh, translations will say the founder of our salvation. Some might say the pioneer of our foundation. The word there is made up of two Greek words. The first word is arche, which is the beginning. Okay? The beginning. And the second word is ago, which is lead which is lead. In other words, there's a play on words going on here with the word RK beginning and then the word at the end made perfect. So from the beginning to the time everything's perfect, it's being described as a journey. It's being described as a journey, and Jesus is the founder, pioneer, leader from the beginning of salvation on to lead them to glory. That's the implication. It is a journey to lead them to glory. So it's kind of hard just to translate that with one word, founder or pioneer. It is that he is leading us to glory. Okay? He is leading us to glory. And he, of course, there is no salvation apart from him. And so that's why he is called the founder of their salvation. But God chose to make him perfect through suffering. This too seems totally contrary to us. He was the obedient, perfectly obedient son of God when he came. But he made him perfect through suffering. 
I'll ask you this question. In your life, is it easier to be obedient to God when everything's going your way or when there's trouble? You know the answer to that. What's being said here is, how do you truly see the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ? It is displayed in his suffering. That he was willing to be obedient to his father to the degree that when his father said, I want you to be nailed to a cross and die, he did it. So he was made perfect through suffering. His perfect obedience showed more than any other time when he willingly went to the cross. And so he was made perfect through suffering. All right? That's what this means. That he was willing to do this so that, and there's always a parallel. Remember, he's always our substitute. He was willing to do it so he could bring us through our suffering in this world to glory. He went through suffering and was glorified, and he wants as our Savior to bring us through all that we suffer in this world to glory. Okay? To glory. That was his purpose. That was God's purpose for him. And that's why we see this as his absolute perfect obedience to the Father. Whatever his Father asked him, no matter how difficult, he did it. So we are called on as the people of God, whenever God asks us to do hard things, to do them under the strength of the victory of Jesus Christ. So many, uh, and we've talked about this, the theology of glory and the theology of the cross, okay? We are in the time of the cross. When he comes again or when we die, the time of glory will be there. But notice one of the statements that is sometime made is, if you're having trouble in your life, or if everything is going good in your life, that's the way God treats his children. No, he doesn't. Look at how he treated his own son. Okay? He didn't have it good all the time. Everything didn't go his way. 
And that's how he treated his own son. That's the theology of the cross. That's the theology of the cross. So you can see why in this one verse, there is so much. So much for us to uh, learn and grow from. Let's go to verse 11. For the one who is sanctified and those who are being sanctified are all from one. Okay? So Jesus, sanctified by his perfect obedience to his Father, accomplishing salvation for us, and to us who are being sanctified, we are all from one. Now, there's several theories on who the one is, but the most likely is we are all from one, Adam. Adam. Because the thing we share in common with Jesus Christ is our humanity. Because he became man for us. Okay? He became man for us. So it seems Adam is the logical one. To be made holy is to be set aside as different. So Jesus is both human and, and divine. And divine. Okay? And so, this is our human kinship with Jesus, and he is not ashamed of that. In spite of our sin and all that we have done, he is not ashamed of that. And that's what the other, the rest of the verse says. Okay? That he is not ashamed to be called their brother. Because of our sin, he does not distance himself from us. But with human kinship, he identifies with us. Okay? Now, this all doesn't make sense right now. We're going to get to it. But we are being identified with... Um, he wants to be identified with us. Okay? Now, how does this happen? And what we're going to have here is three quotes... Two of them are linked, but three quotes where the Son is speaking to God about us. The Son is speaking to the Father about us using passages from the Old Testament. 
And we are allowed, this congregation through the author was allowed to hear what the Son says about us, okay? About us. So verse 12, saying, okay? I proclaim your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I sing of you okay how does he identify with us according to this verse according to this verse he identifies with us because he proclaims the name of his father to us he proclaims the name of God to us and he sings of him, sings praises. There is a, a, almost an invitation here. Not only does he proclaim the name of God to them, which is, was his mission, but he sings of him, inviting us to sing with him. Because he identifies with us. Now, this is from Psalm 22, 22. And if you recall about Psalm 22, it is the psalm that describes so many aspects of Jesus on the cross. They pierced his hands and his side. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is here, in that psalm, Jesus speaks to God about us. He proclaims the name of God, and he proclaims that God wants to save you. He sings God's praises to his brothers with the goal that they will sing Praises to the Father, likewise, for all that he has done for them. Okay. Then two others, and these are from Isaiah. I will put my trust in him. That's the Son putting his trust in the Father. And again, see... I and the children which God gave to me. Here, he is claiming that his perfect trust is in God. Is in God. And he views every Christian every believer in Jesus as a gift from the Father. All things, all things belong to the Father. The Son is acknowledging that the Father gives us to Him as gifts. He sees us as gifts. 
as gifts of God. And he is right here with us. He is right here with us. All right? So that's, that's how he is identifying with us. Okay? He is right here with us. All right, any questions or comments to there? All right. Therefore, since the children share in flesh or in blood and flesh, he similarly, okay, he similarly, whatever, uh, he partakes of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, what we're getting into here is the whole incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Human beings have flesh and blood, therefore Jesus has flesh and blood, has flesh and blood. Um, And this is because he had to die. And to be able to die, he had to have flesh and blood. So he had to be like us. He was totally human, okay? His death then, it says, accomplishes several things. All right, let's let's look at that. Uh, Who has the power of death, the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, to destroy it and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All right. Now, the first thing he is able to do is to destroy Satan. Actually, a good translation of the word here is disempower. He takes his power away from him because Satan uses the power of death to tyrannize and enslave humankind. And we know this because all the time We are surrounded by death, and the older we get, the more we realize we are not immortal, we will not live forever, death is going to come, and that is a fearful thing. 
Satan uses that to tyrannize us, the fear of death. I've used this example before. You're watching a TV show, a public TV show, and it's on how to identify if you have skin cancer. So you go into the bathroom and check every inch of your body. And you find little, one little tiny place that looks suspicious, so you spend 150 bucks to go to the doctor, and he says it's nothing. Why did you do that? You are afraid of death. You are afraid of death. And none of us want to admit that, but when things like that happen to us, suddenly death becomes real. So Satan used, uses death against us. But the second thing it says here, he wants to deliver those. The actual word is liberate those who through the fear of death. He wants to liberate us from the fear of death so that that is not a part of our life anymore, okay? He wants to liberate us from that. And finally, then, it's, it's remove us so that we are not in lifelong slavery to death. Lifelong slavery, it's, the words are slavery for your whole life. Okay. Now, Jesus does not remove physical death. That is still here. But what Jesus does is change physical death from something to be afraid of to the means through which he gives us the glory. Death is something you pass through to get the glory. It's a door through which you pass. It doesn't have to be scary anymore. It's the door through which you pass into heaven. So he has changed physical death from... um, from a scary thing to the door of glory, okay? To the door of glory. So, he works all this by his death, but to do this, he had to be able to die. Therefore, he was incarnate, and he took upon himself flesh and blood, just as we have flesh and blood. Okay? This is a description of God's plan of salvation. You always ask, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Here it is. Here it is. God explains it. Okay. Move a little farther. 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, 
actually, it's not angel, angels that he takes a hold of, but he takes a hold of the offspring of Abraham. The word actually means take by the hand. You remember when uh, Peter was sinking, Jesus took him by the hand. That's the imagery. And he doesn't extend his hands to angels. He extends his, extends his hand to the seed of Abraham. Now, the seed of Abraham is not just the Jews. It is all believers in Jesus Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. It is not limited here. Okay. So he extends his hand to. Now, what we're getting into now is something that will be um, a theme throughout Hebrews. And it will be revealed to us in 17. But all this imagery of us being, he being like us, identifying with us, reaching out his hand to us, is leading up to what we'll see in verse 17. Okay? 17. Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, every respect except sin. Okay? He was made like us in every respect except sin. Okay? so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. The fact of Jesus being our high priest is a theme that will be carried throughout the book of Hebrews. It is introduced here, and it will be throughout the book of Hebrews. He is unlike the priests of Israel because he is without sin. Okay? He is without sin. So he is close to his human brothers because he knows their weakness. He knows temptation, and he knows suffering. Now, two of these are easy to identify with Jesus. He knows temptation because he himself was tempted. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. He was tempted by his own disciples and Peter to not go to the cross, to avoid the cross, to 
to avoid it. The very thing that he was sent to do, he was tempted to evade. So he knows temptation. He knows suffering. He knows suffering because he himself suffered. He didn't stay above the fray. He truly suffered as a human being. And he knows our weakness simply by observing our weakness and the weakness of his apostles and all other people. When the man wanted healing for his son, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. So, as a high priest, there was a high priest in Israel, but he was a sinful man. Jesus becomes our high priest, and he is close to us, and of course, he is also closer to God because he is totally and completely God. So he is totally and completely God and totally and completely man. Not 50% God and 50% man, 100% God and 100% man in one person. But because he was totally human, he, by his actions, are, is able to free his brothers from death, okay? When he was made, when it says that he was made like man, the verb tense here implies this was not his doing, this was God's doing. This was the work of God his passive obedience, that he would be made man in obedience to God. This is God's work. Now, first of all, he's merciful in the fact that in his mercy, he brings us to God. Okay? He brings us to God. Okay? Um, no, the other way around. He's merciful because he brings God's mercy to us. He shows us God's mercy, and he is faithful in bringing us to God, okay, as the Savior. Now, if we look at this then, he is the merciful and faithful high priest in service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. All right, now this has been debated for a long time. Um, we want to go through it more carefully here. There is a distinction made, and you've probably heard both terms, between expiation and propitiation. And each of them means something different. 
Expiation means the removal of sin, the removal of sin by the payment of one life for another. The removal of sin by the payment of one life for another. So, our sin is forgiven and removed because Jesus gave his life for our life. Okay? That's the concept of expiation. Okay? Life for life. Then, propitiation. Propitiation is the turning away of God's wrath, and instead we receive his gracious acceptance. The turning away of God's wrath, and instead we receive his gracious acceptance. Now, all this goes back to the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, where the priest would choose uh, a goat and a lamb, and he would lay his hands on the goat, okay, symbolizing that the sins of Israel were on this goat, and they would lead the goat out of the camp, and the goat would die in the wilderness to signify their sins had been removed. Then he would take the lamb, sacrifice it, and take the blood and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. To signify that, to show that God's wrath had turned away and they were graciously accepted. So it was both. Okay? And it's both here. Jesus Christ did both. He gave his life for our life, and he poured out his blood before the throne of God. Okay? So he accomplished both for us. He suffered the cross, and as we'll see later on, he suffered it once and for all. But then there's something interesting here. Then it says, to make propitiation for the sins of the people means it's ongoing. So how come he died on the cross once for all, and yet this is ongoing? So remember the duties of a high priest. The high priest was to intercede for the people. Okay? And that is exactly what Jesus Christ is doing at the right hand of God. He constantly intercedes for us. He is constantly there so that when we sin, he constantly reminds his Father, I've taken care of this. The blood is shed. Their sins are forgiven. 
So it's, he's always doing this. It's constant for us. Because he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us, and that's what a high priest does. But it goes farther. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In his capacity as the high priest, as one who has become human, as one who died for humanity, as one who was tempted, suffered, as one who calls us his brothers, in that capacity he sits at the right hand of God. And he has sympathy and compassion for us as we live in this world. His suffering, his being man, gives him to the, the ability to help, help his people when they suffer. He gives help. He does not make further demands. He gives help. He understands totally human weakness. He is in ongoing involvement in our lives. He intercedes with us with sympathy and compassion. He is a merciful high priest because of what he suffered. And that's the whole point of this section. He is a merciful high priest for us because he was willing to suffer and die for us. And now he is seated at the right hand of God. Okay? Constantly interceding, pleading for us. Pleading for us. Because he knows our weakness and he knows what we're going through. And this is an aspect we don't often talk about. We know that he saved us, but this constant intercession in our behalf for what we are suffering in this world, we don't often talk about that. He's still our merciful Savior, and he's been here. And he's pleading with the Father for us because he's been here himself. Okay. I've done all the talking. Questions? Yes. 
No. No, the other way. Life for life is expiation. Yeah. Yeah. No. That would be the, 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 I mean, you could, I guess you could argue either way, but um, I, I would see the expiation as life for life because the goat was died. Well, he does both. Well, but then you get into the fact that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, and his office as prophet is that he proclaims. High priest is that he intercedes. And word is sacrament is uh, both proclamation and intercession. 